How can you flip things on end? How can you take current assumptions and think about it as the exact opposite? It's that oppositional nature that has fueled progress since the beginning of time. And too often, again, we're caught in the same path. We're thinking of things the same way. I say to leaders, let me challenge you. The next time you're about to make a decision that keeps your team moving along the same path, press the pause button. Think of how you can do things in an exact opposite way. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles. If you've been following me for a while, then you likely know that I preach innovating to stay ahead as one of the key behaviors that goes into creating simple experiences. But there's a challenge that most people face when it comes to innovation. Most people make innovation much harder than it has to be. Most people think innovation is confusing, complicated, intimidating, complex. Most people think you need a special degree or training to do innovation right. Or they think that only certain people, an elite few, are capable of being innovative. And not only do most people think that they're not innovative, they also think that they cannot be innovative. Most people don't recognize their ability to be creative and they don't understand how to exercise or hone their creative thinking skills. And if you're like most people, then I want to bust this myth wide open for you. Because the truth is, coming up with innovative, creative ideas isn't a talent you're born with. Anybody can do it. But at the same time, you can't just wake up one day and flip a switch and say, oh, Well, now I'm going to be creative. Now I'm going to come up with something innovative today. You have to learn how to have the right innovative mindset. You have to learn how to have the right innovative habits. You have to learn how to be innovative. And thankfully, this week's guest helps you learn how to do just that. It's Sarah Frasca. Sarah is a keynote speaker She's a global business coach, and she's an innovation expert. She helps leading organizations cultivate human imagination, build a culture of innovation, and solve complex problems in creative ways, all while helping teams recognize their ability to help all of their employees develop and strengthen their creative muscles. So here it is. Here's my interview with Sarah Frasca. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I am excited that you're here. I have followed some of your lessons for a while, and I was so grateful that we actually finally got to meet in person Oh, last month, I think. That's right. It was fun to meet you and the crew in Nashville. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Nashville is such a fun place. And I love all the work that City Current and Jeremy Park is doing to support the community, but also to bring in experts to give us lessons on all kinds of subjects, including innovation and creativity. 
And I've heard you talk about how we're currently living in an age of creativity today. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, it starts with the amount of disruption that's happening in the world. There are so many things changing on a daily basis. Technology, transformations, the way we serve, the way we connect. It is truly an unprecedented time. And so to take advantage of that change from a business perspective, we have to be able to adapt. We have to be creative to leverage that change from a consumer perspective. We have to be creative. So This is honestly one of the times when I think it is most important to be reflective on how can we adapt? How can we change? How can we think of things in a different manner? That nimbleness is incredibly important right now. Well, and when it comes to us as individuals, especially those that are in the corporate career space, like we're always trying to figure out how we can improve our personal brand, figure out what we can do to make ourselves highly worthy for that next job. So would you say that creativity is one of those things, one of those skills that companies are ranking highly among their employees? Yeah, I've got a couple stats for you, actually. The World Economic Forum does a study every five years. And in 2015, creativity was ranked 20th on their list of the most desired skills within the world for a job. So number 20. By the year 2020, creativity rose to number three. And above it were problem solving and I think it was ingenuity or something. So, I mean, really, those are just derivatives of each other. The World Economic Forum across the globe is saying, creativity is the most important job skill. So that's my first stat for you. The second stat is that in the last two years, LinkedIn says that creativity is the number one job requirement across 20 million job posts. Wow. It's happening all over the world and it's happening in almost every industry. Whether you are someone in a trucking industry, in a manufacturing industry, in the restaurant industry, corporate America, it it really and truly doesn't matter. You've got to have people that can think on their feet, that can pivot, that can creatively problem solve. It's all, again, kind of derivatives of this term creativity. Well, and I got to think, you know, the average person, when we tend to think of creativity, when we tend to think of people who are creative and innovative, We usually think of those people like, say, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, or we think of the innovation team that's often their little fancy warehouse office, like, you know, cut off from the rest of the people. But if you're saying that creativity now ranks in in the top three skills, which really all those top three are all creativity related, Mm -hmm. and then that LinkedIn is saying that it's the number one job skill that people are searching for. So that makes me think that People expect everyone to be creative. And I'm curious where there's a disconnect because we think that creativity is this special group of people, but companies want everyone to be creative. So what have you found that helps us rethink how we define creativity? Yeah, you know, I agree with what you've said. I would say most working professionals, people like you and I, who are doing daily tasks, doing our jobs, you know, working through life, we don't necessarily consider ourselves to be creative. Maybe it's not you and I, but people like us, right? Right. People that are in corporate America or people that are small business owners. And 
oftentimes, and this is kind of sad, but someone along our path has kind of stifled that creativity by saying, no, 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 you can't do it that way. Or we've, we do it this way. And this is our process or even small things, right? Like when we were children and, and someone said to us, yeah. you can't paint a giraffe purple. Little things like that over time help to stifle that creative spirit. And so when I meet with individuals, when I meet with teams, my very first job is to inspire them to believe that they are creative. When I do that, I think people can honestly define creativity in a number of ways, but it is just doing things differently. How can they think differently about something? It's stepping outside of the norms. It's no longer taking the status quo as the Bible. It's being able to work outside of those lines. And I would say, you know, I really try hard not to use people like Elon Musk, like, you know, all of those wonderful leaders of organizations that used to be just everyday people, right? But they had an amazing idea. Right. So it's better when I use stories about Bo Coffrin or Jessica Matthews, people that are everyday folks who have done something extraordinary. And that something extraordinary was just a simple twist, was just a simple way of them thinking about doing things a little bit differently. So again, that inspiration point that I'm trying to really kind of energize the working world and people all over, how can we embody that spirit? How can we have the creative confidence to say, well, why can't we do it a different way? Right. Yeah. And that really helps out because a lot of times when people think of creativity, when they think of innovation, they go right to a lot of these big technological changes. But I really appreciate that you define it as just finding a way to do something differently. It doesn't have to be any technology involved at all. That's right. It can be the most minute details, the way we run our meetings, the way we leverage technology, how we serve our clients. I have found in the last couple of years that I believe there was a big shift in service, in connection. Um, I think partly because of COVID, but also just because I think people have gotten away from really focusing on service Whatever their services, whether they're a hotel, whether they are serving guests through a manufactured product, and they have not had the end person, the end user, the end consumer in the forefront of their decision making. So I think that we're going to see more of that. I think that we're going to see better service and that becoming a differentiator for people as they continue to do work. So the changes that we're doing can be in any number of areas. It can be in the actual product. It can be in the instructions. It can be in the packaging. It can be in the, again, on and on. Oh, yeah. Well, sometimes, and I used to tell people that sometimes innovation can be something as simple as figuring out the need to move a garbage can 50 feet in a different direction to be able to help Mm -hmm. other people out. That's right. So you say that one of your first steps is to inspire people, to help them understand what innovation and what creativity really is and how everyone can do it through giving them examples and stories. So can you share one of your favorite stories? Oh, I'd be happy to. Yay. Okay. All right. Well, I'll share with you one that doesn't need a visual. A lot of times when I'm doing workshops, when I'm talking to folks, I have a lot of visuals. So in this example, I'll, I'll just tell you the story. So let me use the story of the cattle industry. So the cattle industry has a pesky problem. 
And that pesky problem is that flies bite the cattle, right? So they are annoying the cattle. They are biting the cattle. They are creating some sores, some bacterial infections, all sorts of things. But in all honesty, just the simple biting of the flies on these cattle is interrupting the cattle's patterns, right? They're eating, they're sleeping, all of those different patterns. And across the world, this represents a $2 billion a year problem for the cattle industry. Because again, it is really damaging and disrupting the cattle's natural patterns. Most people would think of this fly situation and they just kind of throw up their arms and say, well, it is what it is, right? There's going to be flies. Exactly. How are you going to fix the fly problem? Well, a little group of researchers in Japan, Japan is known for their Kobe beef. They really wanted to think about this. And so they started experimenting. And of course, they tried some of the normal things that others have tried. They tried netting. They tried pesticides. It was interrupting, again, still interrupting the the patterns of the cows. And actually, some of the things like the pesticides were even disrupting the cattle and uh, causing deterrence to their health and honestly to the end product as well. So anyway, they've tried a bunch of different things. They pivoted, they tested, et cetera. When they started thinking about other animals across the world and The question was, what animals do not have the biting problem? So they came at it from a different angle, right? What animals are not faced with this? And it turns out that zebras do not have the same fly biting problem that cows do. Really? And it turns out that the black and white striped pattern actually creates a depth perception issue for the flies. Oh. So what did they do? Well, they painted the cows. They <laughs> painted them with a black and white striped pattern to look like zebras. They're still cattle. It doesn't deter anything that the cow does naturally, but it deters the flies from biting it. And it actually would represent, if it's done across the world, it would represent about a $1 billion solution. Wow. Correct. So, I mean, it's just these little ways of asking questions of having that intense curiosity of coming at it from a different angle. And that's what happens when we can really harness the power of creative problem solving. There's so many things to unpack from that example right there. One, right off the bat, like there no technology involved unless they found a way like to scale how quickly they could paint the cattle. That's a great point. But the real solution was just simply painting the cattle to look like zebras. But another yeah. thing that, that stood out to me was a lot of times when we're trying to solve a problem for our company, we usually look to either, okay, how have we solved this before? We look inside ourselves or we look directly to our competitors. Mm-hmm. Have our competitors solved this problem? And then it's a very narrow view, but they had the question of, okay, what animal doesn't have this problem? And then what is it about that animal that we might be able to replicate? So that speaks to the value of looking beyond your own self and looking beyond just you and your direct competitors and your industry to seeing what other solutions are out there. Exactly right. And I would say, you know, one of the tools that I like to leverage with my clients, especially in a workshop setting, is the borrowed idea. And that premise that you just described is, Where else in the world is someone solving 
a problem and what can you learn from it and bring that back to solve your issue. Too often, you know, we stop our research with our own industry. We don't go outside. We don't look at what the sports industry is doing, what travel, technology. I mean, we're not looking outside. In a similar fashion, I would say bringing in folks from other types of industry. I mean, bringing in a philosopher, bringing in an artist, bringing in a teacher. How would they solve your challenge? And one of the interesting ways that I oftentimes like to utilize my clients' kind of families is serve this up to your eight-year-old. Tell them your challenge. What would they do? And it's, again, it comes from that, you know, kind of curiosity of a child. I mean, they may bring something up that you would have never thought about. Why don't you use crayons? Why don't you tie the shoes this way? I mean, kids have such an intense amount of curiosity, why not apply that to your business challenge? Talk to your eight-year-old, have them help you. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, so I know you're a mom, you have five children, is that right? I do, Matt. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So I I only have two, but I'm sure you're like this. I watch my children and I see how creative they are at a number of things. And I'm just amazed at that. And then I realized, yeah, you know what? I recall a time when I was that age I used Mm -hmm. to be creative like that too. And it is sad how much that creativity, that creative thinking gets suppressed over the years and over the decades. So we've talked about how that can happen at the individual level, but I'm curious about the corporate level. What do you think holds most companies back from being innovative and creative? Well, the first thing that I would answer is that creative confidence. And that honestly at an individual level, that's the starting point. So when an individual doesn't feel like they can challenge the status quo, that will start to really inhibit forward momentum and you know challenging the kind of conventional wisdom. Yeah. An organization can, I would say, start to break down those barriers when it builds trust, when we're not criticizing oh. people, we're not criticizing the past. And I think of it as a little bit of a trickle-down effect. The leaders have to be willing to ask questions in a new way and to allow different ideas to come to the surface. So if I'm working with a C-suite team, you know, I'm reminding them the ideas that are going to be the best for your business now and into the future are going to come from ranks quite below you. They've got to think about it. They're the ones on the ground floor. They're the ones that have the touch point with your client, your consumer. If you empower, if you build a culture of this type of innovation, allowing ideas to surface, they're not all going to work. Right. But if you can start to build, again, the trust that no one's going to lose their job if a product flops, no one's going to be criticized publicly, it's those types of small cultural shifts that will, again, create the mindset and will allow for the type of shared responsibility, honestly, of building the business forward. It's not just the C-suite's job to come up with the ideas. It's everyone's job. But the C-suite has to start the process of enabling and on down the ladder it goes. And you mentioned a few things that I think are really helpful to really get that instilled as you go down each level. And that's Mm -hmm. empowering them. But I think it's also rewarding them, not rewarding them for the results, but rewarding them for the ideas. Because if you reward for only the results, 
And sometimes you may even also, uh, I guess, hurt people or do whatever for those results that are failures, then Mm -hmm. that's going to squash any creativity going forward. So rewarding people for the ideas and not so much the results. That's right. I think so many times of parenting parallels. And I think the growth mindset philosophy works for your kids and it works for your teams, whatever organization you have, right? And I think of it as, well, that didn't work yet, or it's not the right idea now. And then you're fostering, well, there's no criticism. It didn't work, but what's the next thing? How are we going to continue to grow? What are we leaning in on? I mean, it's, it's not any different from a child that didn't make the varsity football team quite yet. Right. We're not telling them they're never going to make it. It's never going to work. We're saying, well, this wasn't the right time, but let's keep charging forward. The same with an idea in an organization. Gosh, that one didn't work out. Well, really good effort. How can we improve and change it and go towards the next idea? There you go. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes I think even being able to build off of that idea and then recognizing and helping people understand, hey, you know, this solution that we have here that actually was built off of the idea that you gave us previously. So thank Mm -hmm. you for that. Exactly. You know, I was happy um, the other day, my third grader came home and was telling me, which is kind of cute, how (laughs) many examples there are in the world of people that have failed hundreds of times. So he was, you know, talking about, did you know Thomas Edison had to try for, you know, a thousand tries before he got the light bulb? Did you know that Walt Disney had to pitch his idea 33 times? I mean, it, it really is amazing how many times thought leaders have tried and failed and kept going. And we have to, again, embody that same philosophy. There's one of my mindsets that is really focused on that. It's not easy to come up with innovation. It's not easy to be the one that's leading the creative charge. And you've got to have that internal drive, that grit, that tenacity to keep picking yourself back up, dust yourself off and move forward. Right. Right. And I love being able to talk to my kids about these types of things too. And my youngest son, the other day, he was playing basketball. He was a little bit down because he wasn't making the baskets. And I said, well, I got to tell you, I think if you were to go out and just practice, and I'm looking out at the the basketball goal. (laughs) If you just go out, practice dribbling, practice shooting at least 20 minutes, just 20 minutes every single day in a row, you'll get better. And then so all of a sudden, like I just happened to notice like three days in a row, he's been out there. It's like, well, that's really awesome. So I went up there and I talked to him and we were talking about it. And then I said, hey, you know what? You know, one of the secrets in basketball, and I don't know the exact stats around this, but in the NBA, most of those players that are the highest scorers in their career also have the highest number of misses. You know, that is an excellent analogy. And anyone that's done research on Steph Curry knows yep. that he's the best shooter, maybe of all time. Yep. He's also the one that practices shooting the most. Oh. So, yeah. So, I mean, I would say the analogy that you brought up here is brilliant. And I would say the same is true for creativity or any skill, really. But I think of it kind of like you just described, like a muscle. Yep. If you want to be a creative problem solver, You've got to practice. Too often we have groups, probably in a business that says, okay, 
Let's brainstorm. Well, you can't send people into a brainstorm without having that practice behind them, right? right? I mean, that's just an unfair right. expectation. But if we practice the skill of being creative and we practice it over time, we can get better at it. So that's actually, you know, one of the, I think most, I, I like to infuse the optimism. Most people don't believe they're creative. And I know that's not true, but they don't. And so one of the things that I like to share with them is, well, if you want to be more creative, just practice. And so I can give them the tools to help practice this muscle. And over time, they become a little bit more confident. They become a little better. They become even more confident. So you can learn this type of skill. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like anything, like it's like any skill that you want to pick up, whether it's in sports or or athletics or even music, you can't expect to put in like a handful of hours just one day and then think that you're going to be good. It comes down to consistency. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience? I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, If I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com slash speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com slash speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. It also comes down to the mindset, which you talked about earlier. And you mentioned one of your core mindsets. I think you call it fall seven, stand eight. That's right. So you have some other core mindsets that are common among the most creative, the most innovative people. Can you walk me through those other mindsets? Yeah, I'd be happy to. The first mindset of innovation that I like to talk about is the belief that every barrier can be penetrated. This is the inherent belief that no matter what the challenge is, there is always a way. So, you know, again, I, I would say most people are thwarting themselves by not finding the energy to have that intense creativity, to figure out a way through something. The most creative people on the planet are the opposite. When they're faced with a challenge, they never give up. They bring more energy, more passion, more ideas. And before long, they figure it out. Kind of fun. Very cool. uh, the second mindset of creativity 
is Video Killed the Radio Star. So this <laughs> one has kind of a fun name because we yeah. all probably remember the song. Yeah. Um, and this mindset is all about planned obsolescence. We want to put ourselves out of business. If you think about it, version 2.0 puts version 1.0 out of business. Right. I like to say to folks, someday a company will come along and put you out of business. It might as well be you, right? <laughs> How do you improve your model? How do you improve the way you serve your clients? How do you improve your product? Put yourself out of business. Keep wow. improving. Video killed the radio star, <laughs> which is always fun. I always think of the song. I do too. Well, and you know me, I'm a big music fan. So I love that concept as well. That's right. I just keep hearing it in my head. You can probably remember the video. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the first video that was ever played on MTV on day one. Exactly right. I'm glad that you know that. That's yeah. fun. So the third core mindset of innovation is change the rules to get the jewels. And this one is changing your approach, changing your methodology, changing your vantage. So this one is all about having a different perspective or different assumptions. One of the tools that you and I talked about earlier in this conversation was the, the belief that you can go outside to find inspiration. Yeah. This could also be bringing outside people in to look at your challenge differently. Your new hires have probably the best, best vantage, right? They come in with fresh eyes. I think so. How do they see your challenges? They probably naturally come in and they say, well, wait a second. Why do you do it this way? And yeah. they're challenging it. They're questioning it. We need to listen to those folks. They're coming in with fresh eyes. They see things that we no longer see. We're inside the fishbowl. Yeah. And the answer can't be, well, that's just the way we've always done things. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. The fourth core mindset that I share with folks is called seek the unexpected. Hmm. It's easy to do things the way we've always done them. But when we really challenge ourselves, when we try to push for a quantity of ideas versus quality, we sometimes will find quirky, unusual, unorthodox ideas that we can really start to craft and make quality. So the idea here is to go beyond the realm of something anybody has ever thought of, right? Your colleagues might laugh at you. Your family might laugh at you. But sometimes these outside ideas can be the place where we find the best ideas for transformation. Yeah. And then the last one is just the fall seven stand eight. Yeah. And honestly, this is the one that I have the most personal passion for. And here's why. I think too many times people do not have that confidence. They have such insecurity about challenging conventional wisdom. They feel criticized. They feel insecure about bringing forth a new idea. I would love to have organizations that allow for the type of vulnerability that Brene Brown shares with us. I mean, yeah. people that are willing to say, oh gosh, I'm such a you know goofball. That was a bad idea. And you just move on. I mean, it's not this deep, intense, oh, I'm the worst or, oh, we're getting criticized by our bosses. No, instead organizations that say, let's just keep trying. It might not work. No problem. Let's dust ourselves up. Let's pick back up and try something again. And the more we can do that, the more power we give to our teams to come up with ideas. And now we've got the type of confidence and trust that we can 
find a path. We can be like the Phoenix, pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and get through failure. Well, and I think that it helps when leaders can understand and cultivate the type of culture that celebrates failure, but Mm -hmm. also the type of culture where leadership and colleagues, but also the individuals themselves don't criticize the person, but may criticize the idea. You were talking about how, oh, like I'm such a failure. Well, no, no, it it wasn't you. It was the idea. And the idea wasn't the right idea at this time. You mm-hmm. are great. And the fact that you even came up with the idea is great. So embracing failure, empowering people, and then focusing any sort of criticism on the idea itself, not the person. And then, like you said, that allows people to be vulnerable enough. And then I think that helps them when it comes to the other core mindset that you talked about earlier, seek the unexpected. I want to go back and talk about that for a moment because I recall back to my corporate career and a lot of times when it came time for any creative problem solving, the stock way to do it was, okay, let's get as many people we can into a conference room for two hours and let's all brainstorm something. And you have a few people that will throw out a handful of ideas. Then we'll take those handful ideas and narrow them down to like maybe the top two or three best ideas. Right. But it sounds like Seek the Unexpected says to not do that approach and to go much further. Well, I would say each team is going to be different. And so I have a number of tools that can be leveraged for different teams. So one example of what you're sharing there is that, you know, if you've got a team where the leader's idea, people usually jump on the bandwagon because they're the leader, they're the boss, those sorts of things. Well, then you need to embrace some tools where people are doing it in an anonymous fashion. Maybe it's a written way okay. so that we're not just jumping on board with the loudest voice, the highest leader level. So, you know, I think, again, in order to bring forth a high quantity of ideas, if you can enable your team to leverage different tools, different ways of coming up with ideas. Another one of my favorites, by the way, is you sit around in your team and you're brainstorming and maybe you're doing it on a piece of paper and you pass it. So you do the first part and then after three minutes, you pass it. And so it becomes a very collaborative exercise because each person is building on the ideas. They don't get to start from scratch. They're just simply building on whatever the idea that was, you know, from the person before them. And maybe it goes all the way around. Maybe it goes, you know, to three different people. But again, it has nothing to do with the loudest voice, the highest ranking. It has nothing to do with that. It's the idea. I would say the best idea should win. So find a process that enables that within the team that you are in. Well, so you've mentioned that you have a number of tools that you offer when you're working with clients or that you encourage you know, companies to use. What are some of the other tools? Yeah. So as you know, I own a consulting firm called Point Northeast and we do a lot of workshops. I think the fun thing is that, you know, I get in my keynotes, I get to inspire folks and then they say inevitably, well, wait a second, how do I do this for my business? And so then I get to actually help teach them the tools So I talked about the borrowed idea, which is really fun. One of my other favorites is called the judo flip. Yes. And this is a great one. Most people actually say this is their most memorable tool. So that's kind of fun. But it's basically, how can you flip things on end? How can you take current assumptions and think about it as the exact opposite? 
It's that oppositional nature that has fueled progress since the beginning of time. And too often, again, we're caught in the same path. We're thinking of things the same way. I say to leaders, let me challenge you. The next time you're about to make a decision that keeps your team moving along the same path, press the pause button. Think of how you can do things in an exact opposite way. So we'll practice those types of tools, the judo flip tool on all sorts of different kind of everyday examples. How do you buy a car? How could we sell shoes? And they can practice the tool. Once they've got the tool understood and they know how to use it, then we apply it to their business. Do you have a real life example of the judo flip that you can share? Sure. Yeah. So actually, this is kind of a fun one. I don't know if, are you a cyclist by any chance? I'm not. I used to be a runner, but no, not a cyclist. No problem. So Specialized Bikes is a bike manufacturer that's out of Northern California. They've been around for, you know, decades and they are known as having, you know, the kind of the, the top innovation for bikes. And there's this great CNN documentary that was done about specialized bikes. And the cool thing is that they use the judo flip. They didn't know it was called the judo flip, but (laughs) they did a great job embodying this principle. And here's what they did for the biking industry, for competitive biking. There's a rule book, of course, just like NASCAR or any other, you know, racing organization, they've got a rule book. And so coming up with their innovation, their design team went down the rule book and did the exact opposite. So if the rule book says that the two wheels have to be the exact same size, they said, great, let's make the back wheel bigger, which will aid in acceleration. Okay. The rule book says you can't have any flares on the bike. So they said, great, and did the exact opposite. They put flares all over the bike, which reduced drag. The rule book says you can't have any motorized components. So they put a little engine in the crank to help again with the acceleration, getting up hills, et cetera. And this isn't a bicycle that's used in competition. No one's cheating, but this is a bike that, you know, people who use cycling as their exercise, um, it's a phenomenally popular bicycle because it's beautiful and it really upends a lot of the assumptions of what a bicycle needs to have. And so this type of judo flipping, this type of thinking of the exact opposite can be very, very instructive of some areas within the process that we need to do the exact opposite. That assumption is no longer relevant. There you go. Wow. <laughs> wow. No, that makes a lot of sense. And are you familiar with the baseball team, the Savannah Bananas? No, actually. Oh, my goodness. Well, so I think they've taken a judo flip approach to their customer experience. Jesse Cole is the founder, president, leader of the Savannah Bananas, and they looked at the experience for going to a baseball game and every step along the way from the moment that you order your tickets until after you even leave the stadium. And they say, okay, what's the normal experience? Now, what if we flipped it? What if we did something different? And they have created what they call a fan's first experience. Help them to create something that where all their games are sold out. They actually traveled to Montgomery, Alabama last week, and I was able to take my boys to see them in Montgomery. And to experience it firsthand, is like, you're right, this is it. You've taken the baseball experience and you've flipped it and you've made it super, super fun for everybody. That's fantastic. Yeah. 
I'm going to have to look up that example, Matt. Thank you for that. I'm always happy when people give me new examples because there are so many wonderful examples just like that that are out there in the world. And of course, it would be crazy for me to think that I know them all. I love, love, love that there are people, again, everyday people, right, that are doing these things, bringing new ideas. Yeah. And I think it speaks to what you've talked about is just taking a look at, you know, how we've confined ourselves, how we've suppressed our thinking around whatever it is we're trying to do and say, okay, what's the rule book? Let's throw the rule book away and then recreate it into something else. And that's where you're able to find something really creative and really innovative. You know, when we talk about how leaders can help instill more innovation into their teams. I think you've walked us on that journey. It's helping them understand the mindset, the fact that, yes, everyone can be creative. You've got a creative muscle. You just have to exercise it consistently. Mm -hmm. And here are the mindsets to have. And then here are tools and exercises to actually help you do that. That's great. So thank you for that. So now I want to shift the discussion a little bit, if you're okay with that, because like I said, I have followed your lessons for a while and we've interacted online a little bit, but I was so glad to finally be able to meet you and see you speaking in person a handful of weeks ago here in Nashville. And it was a great keynote session, but right in the middle all of a sudden, the fire alarm goes off and there's an announcement. You know, everyone leave the building. You know, all this, we all start standing up to leave the building. You took control of the stage because you were the only one that had a microphone to tell people what to do. So it felt like you were guiding everyone. Okay, we're going to get up. We'll readjourn, you know, outside. And then they came back and said, okay, it was a false alarm. Somebody triggered the alarm. Just keep going. But the alarm and the strobe light and the announcement kept going on repeat for what felt like five minutes. You were able to keep your composure and keep going with your talk the entire time. So I've got to think in our careers, we're going to be presenting either to colleagues or leadership or some high stakes meeting. And there's going to be something that happens that knocks us off that could knock us out of our composure. So do you have any lessons from that on how people can learn to keep their composure in that kind of situation or keep their composure when there's any sort of distraction? Yeah. Well, let me start with, and this is a quote from Michelle Obama, I believe. She said, if we start everything with our humanity, then we will be okay. And so Uh my very first, my very, very first instinct was, are we safe? Are the people in this audience safe? And once I knew that we were safe, it was a lot easier for me to go back to actually doing the speech, of course. So again, if there's a fire in the building, we're all humans and we need to make sure that we are taking care of each other. Of course. Once I knew there was safety and it was just an annoyance, well, now (laughs) the stakes are a lot lower, right? I can kind of make a joke about it. Right. It's not the type of intensity as if we were being physically in danger. The second thing is that I don't shy away from the opportunity to kind of control, you know, and make sure that everyone knows, well, I'm just going to keep going and we're going to do the best we can. And you just kind of make light of it. And I would say the levity that you can bring to a situation like that, I think people enjoy that. 
all humans in this shared experience where something might be kind of annoying or a nuisance or whatever, but what's the very worst thing that could happen? And really in that type of situation, it's not huge stakes. It's just kind of the occasional interruption. You know, it's funny, even in the moment, I was thinking back a couple of years ago, my brother, who was a phenomenal hockey player and is now a coach, he was a Hobie Baker winner over hockey and he was- Oh, wow. Yeah. Being honored with like a hall of fame type award for the city of Colorado Springs. And he was in the middle of his keynote or his acceptance speech and the exact same thing happened. So even in the moment when it was happening to me in Nashville, you know, with several hundred people in the audience, I was thinking, this is kind of funny because I watched my brother, Marty do this exact same thing a couple of years ago. So he was a good point of inspiration for me to keep going and to know it'll be all right. There's not a lot for me to be insecure about in that moment, to be honest, Matt. I mean, I didn't pull the fire alarm, of course. Yeah. You know, none of that was in my control. And so I think, you know, I don't have a lot of insecurity with, well, what are the things I can control? I can control my emotions. I can control my reaction. I can control the way that I approach this because. I could have stomped around and hand on hip and been mad and can't believe my keynote was interrupted, but I don't have that philosophy. No one's doing it to me. I might as well just make the best of the situation and try to make light of it. And like, here we are, we're all sitting in a strobe light. And so my point is, I think attitude becomes everything in almost every situation. And hopefully my reaction in that moment was like, Hey guys, now that we know we're safe, Let's just do the best we can. My last maybe comment back to your question here. I'm reading the book by Phil Jackson. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, So another phenomenal basketball reference. And he was talking about how in his coaching days, he always tried to bring examples and experiences that his team wouldn't be anticipating. Things like he would have them practice in the dark. Things like he would switch things up. He would have a game where the player who was not quite as good had no fouls called against them. And so he was trying to bring forth unfair advantages, inequality, even physical, like, you know, playing in the dark. Right. Quite unusual. And you would think a professional athlete would not be expecting that. So when you are a leader, when you are a coach, Helping your team to be able to practice working through that type of adversity, Mm -hmm. I think is pretty important. I think it is kind of in the moment when we are faced with something like a buzzing alarm clock or a strobe light from a fire alarm or a person that walks out and you didn't expect to lose someone that day. I mean, honestly, it can be any number of things that you don't expect. How will you deal with them? And again, I believe it to be a bit of a muscle. You've got to practice what you would do. So why not put your team through some of those paces to see how they'll handle it? That is a fantastic idea. I never even thought of that. And as you were talking about Phil Knight doing this thing, it's like, I don't understand. Like, what's the value of that? But no, that makes so much sense because we've talked about mindset, having the right mindset and being able to be consistent. When you've got the right mindset, when you're consistent, it makes it much easier for you to not get distracted by distractions. 
Right. And if you're building your muscle up even further, sometimes you may want to try and just throw in some big distractions just to see how you'll do with that. That's right. It's great. Sphere of control is so important. <laughs> you know, just being able to focus on what can I control and what can I influence and then focus only on that. That's right. Awesome. Well, again, I applaud you for keeping your composure so well. And I appreciate the lesson that you just shared with that. And I appreciate you being vulnerable enough to talk about that moment too. Yeah. I always have the philosophy of, you know, my vulnerability, if I can help one other person, why not? Yeah. I have nothing to lose. You know, was it perfect? No, but life's not perfect. I'm not going to have perfect situations and we're not going to have everything be perfect all the time. So again, I don't mind at all. And as I told you, I usually will have the philosophy, no question is off limits. So ask away. If I'm not comfortable answering it, I won't. But that kind of thing to me is really no big deal. Excellent. Well, (laughs) last question for you. Yes. If you were to create a five song soundtrack for your work, what songs would you include? I love this. And, And you said you're really into music. Oh, cool. Yes. I grew up with parents that really um, infused our world with songs and music. And okay, so I've got a good list here. I love music. So the first one that I'll tell you about is Forever Young by Bob Dylan. Nice. Yeah. So it's different than the Rod Stewart version. (laughs) He wrote it for his mother. It's beautiful. And it's the song that I danced with my dad to at my wedding. So very special to me. Very special. The next one is Fire and Rain by James Taylor. So not only a beautiful song, this is a song that my dad used to sing to me when he would put me to bed at night and a song that I sing to my kids. So it has, again, a lot of deep meaning and it's just a very beautiful song. I love that. Yeah. My third one is My Favorite Things by Julie Andrews. Okay. This one, my mom sang to me. And I also, you know, it kind of just has a lot of me infused into it. I am kind of a Mary Poppins type of person. I don't get down very often. I can often see the bright side of things. And I'm sure I annoy people sometimes, but kind of like if you watch uh, Ted Lasso, my family teases me that I'm female Ted Lasso. Oh, very cool. I honestly can come up with the silver lining in almost any situation. So my favorite things is one of my favorites. So quick question. Do you consider that to be a Christmas song or not? Um, no, I think Because so many people play it around Christmas. And I love Christmas music, but I don't play that song. Okay. Okay. I don't think I would have considered it a Christmas song, but that's because I love the sound of music. And it's more like when I think of my favorite things, it's that movie for me. So there you go. Yeah. My fourth favorite song is called Tim Schull by Mumford and Sons. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's a little bit lesser known song by them. And to me, it has, again, a lot of deep meaning for me. I lost my mom to brain cancer. Oh. And yes, I know, super, super sad, super tragic. But the song is about continuing forward and, again, finding that inner strength and also finding your brotherhood to help you along the path, whether you are going through a divorce, whether you've got depression, whether you've got a sick parent, whether you've got a disability. I mean, it to me is the essence of continuing forward no matter what. I think it's a beautiful song. And then my last one is called Just Like Heaven. It was written by The Cure. Right. The version I love the most is by Katie Malua. 
I don't think I've heard her version. Okay. Well, it's a good one to try. And again, has a lot of personal meaning for me. Yeah. So anyway, that's my five. Again, I love music. I probably could have done this game all day, but (laughs) those are my tops. How fun. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. So I've learned so much from you and I've learned a lot just from our discussions today, but where can people go to learn more? Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I would say they can go to sarahfrasca.com. So that's kind of an easy way. So it's S-A-R-A. I have no H. sarahfrasca.com. They also can find me on our consulting website or on any of our social media. And that is pointnortheast.com. So either place, LinkedIn is another good place. And I'm happy to help folks, whatever they need, answering questions, helping them figure out how they can get to the next step. So thanks for asking that question. I hope folks will reach out. Yeah, I hope so. Like you said, creativity, innovation is so important today, and it's going to be even more important going forward. So as leaders, as professionals, we have to understand how we can be more creative and how we can make our teams more creative. I agree. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Your podcast is so lovely, and I was honored that you asked me to be a part of it. So thank you for that. Hey, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Sarah Frasca. So go and learn more from her at sarahfrasca.com. You're going to find lots of resources to help your team members dramatically grow their creativity and innovation muscles. And if you'd like some in-depth coaching or consulting for your business, you can visit Sarah and her team at pointnortheast.com. They'll work with you and provide the right strategies to support your growth, limit your turnover, manage your talent, and put you on a solid track to success and profit. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It's going to make it a lot simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Tim Schurer. Tim is the former Chief Operations Officer of StoryBrand, where he launched and operated two brands, StoryBrand and Business Made Simple. He did that alongside New York Times bestselling author Donald Miller. Today, Tim's the host of the Build a Winning Team podcast, where he interviews top business leaders to bring you actionable advice to help you improve your leadership. And Tim's the author of The Secret Society of Success. It releases next week. In The Secret Society of Success, Tim helps you reevaluate the traditional definition of success and helps you learn a new, freer way to go about achieving it and making an impact no matter what your role is. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Tim's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.